I'm honored today to be joined today by Pastor Mark Biltz, who is the founder of El Shaddai Ministries in Washington State. He is a well-known and popular commentator on the Feast of the Lord. He's also well-known for his discovery of the Blood Moon Tetrads that sh shook the church community and changed our understanding of end-time prophecy. Mark has authored several best-selling books, including the one we'll be talking about today, Decoding the Antichrist and the End Times. Pastor, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me with you. Well, I have learned uh, much from you, uh, beginning with Blood Moons. That's another show we're going to be talking about. But this, this book, Decoding the Antichrist, which I just finished reading, I absolutely love it. And it's very theological. Uh, it does help. And we're going to talk about an amazing uh, truth that you uncover in your book about decoding the Antichrist. This is, this is we're living in a world where the Antichrist spirit is palpable. I mean, you, you don't have to use your imagination to just see what's happening uh, against Christianity, against the Word of God, and against the person of Jesus Christ in our society. So, so talk about just why you wrote the book and kind of why, why that was on your mind. Sure, for several reasons. One of them is because the Bible says that many will be deceived if it were possible even the elect. And I believe we're living in the times of the Antichrist. And we know that that refers to lawlessness. And when you look at all the lawlessness that's going around in society today, you can't help but know we're living in those very times. Yeah, ab absolutely. Now, you, you talked about the what I was fascinated by. In the beginning of your book, you talk about the Jewish understanding of the end times and even the Antichrist versus the Muslim understanding versus the Christian understanding. Now, that's a, that's a fascinating because they're so they're similar, but they're very different. We want to talk about that for just a minute. Sure. The. One of the things that's interesting in the Muslim theology, they believe in uh, the Mahdi, uh, and, and they believe that at the end times, everyone's going to become a Muslim, and they're going to worship the Mahdi, and Jesus comes along, and he dies, uh, and then he's buried, uh, but the Mahdi is going to be their main Messiah. They also have the Dajjal, an antichrist, uh, that they're going to be running from, and they have cities of refuge. And I think what's fascinating to me is as you study the Muslim view of end times, the Jewish view of end times, the Christian view of end times, it's like everyone's antichrist is the other group's messiah. Uh, in, in Judaism, of course, they believe the messiah, they believe in two messiahs. One is a suffering servant, uh, the son of Joseph, who's going to suffer and die. And then you have the son of David as the other Messiah who is immediately going to come and uh, rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. So it's fascinating to compare them. And then Christianity, of course, we're waiting for an Antichrist. Uh, right. Now, we're going to talk for just a minute about um, who that Antichrist is. We're going to talk about a person in the Bible that you kind of identify as a type of Antichrist, which is shocking, I want to say, but very accurate. Um, talk about Ecclesiastes 1.9, because I think in the Western mind, when something has happened, uh, it's like predestination. When something has happened, it's not going to happen again. Exactly. But you're very acute to the Jewish Eastern mind, and to them, when something happens, it has to happen again. Talk about that. Sure. 
what it says there is that which has been is that what will happen uh what's been done uh is what will be done there's nothing new under the sun and so for me we have to realize that history repeats itself so often in christian prophecy or prophetic thinking they think oh it's happened it won't happen again let's move on that's a greek mindset as if prophecy is like a checklist but what you have to remember is if it happened before it's going to happen again it'll uh, it's more like a spiral going up where you have a different perspective the events may change the players may change but it's the same thing happening over and over uh, many people don't know but matthew 24 which is a famous end time chapter as you very well know yeah. actually is a story of hanukkah happening again that's, that's absolutely amazing so explain hanukkah and this because we're in that season right now that uh talk about hanukkah and how all that happened Sure, Hanukkah happened, uh, first off, many people say Hanukkah is not in the Bible. It's all over in the Bible. Yeah. First off, Hanukkah just means dedication. And they dedicated uh, Moses' tabernacle. They dedicated Solomon's temple. They were all Hanukkah. Well, in 167, 168 BC is when Antiochus Epiphanes with the Syrian Greeks uh, set up the abomination of desolation in the temple. And this is you'll notice in john chapter 10 jesus slash yeshua he kept the feast of hanukkah uh, many people don't know but it says it was the feast of dedication it was winter he was in solomon's porch well that's hanukkah yeah. uh, and so even yeshua was there at the feast of dedication and i believe that's when he was conceived and also it was during hanukkah that the flood rain stopped and the rainbow first appeared wow that's, that's amazing so if it happened before, it's going to happen again. You talked about Haman and Purim. Yeah. And yeah. so talk about that for just a minute. Sure. There's a big difference between Haman and Purim versus Antiochus Epiphanes and Hanukkah. If you remember, this is all about the book of Esther is Haman and right. uh, the feast of Purim. Well, if we don't understand Purim and Hanukkah, we won't really understand what prophetically is going to be happening again. Haman, the big thing for him was annihilation. Kill all the Jews, I don't care what. Well, Hitler was a type of Haman. Sure. Uh, his whole thing was wipe out the Jews. So right. there you see another repeat in history. Well, after Haman, we have the story of Hanukkah. Well, Hanukkah is all about assimilation versus annihilation. So for them, hey, look, you can keep your Jesus, you can keep your God, but you have to ultimately also worship this God that we are presenting. And so for me, this coming Antichrist, of course, the Antichrist spirit's been with us for 2,000 years. Sure. But uh, I believe his whole thing is going to be assimilation. Of course, then if you don't assimilate, he'll annihilate you. But that's the big difference between Purim and Hanukkah. One is annihilate God's people. The other one is to force them to assimilate. And, and both are happening right now. I mean, Oh, it, exactly. Yeah. So talk, talk about replacement theology, because this has been something that has plagued the church, you know, since the Middle Ages, I guess, maybe even before that. But replacement theology is rampant in the church today. Uh, I was noticing that uh, George Soros sponsored a group in America that their job was to turn young Christians against Israel. And so th there has been a concerted effort around the world and certainly in America to turn people against the Jews, especially church people. 
And so talk yeah. about replacement theology and the dangers of replacement theology. Oh, I'd love to. The thing about replacement theology, it teaches that the Christians have replaced the Jews. Right. Well, if you remember the story back in Genesis, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's two children, were grafted in, in one sense, to Israel. He said, look, these are going to be my sons, and anyone after them will be yours. Well, when they were grafted in, they didn't replace all the other brothers. They were added to the other brothers. Well, it's the same thing today. The church can never replace Israel. One of the things that's so sad, if you remember, at the golden calf, God was going to destroy Israel. And Moses got up and said, no, 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 don't destroy him, because then the Egyptians and the rest of the world will say, either you were a liar or you were impotent and couldn't do it. Well, for Christians today to say that God couldn't do it and we've replaced Israel, then Christianity today is saying God was a liar because he can't fulfill his covenant or else he was unable to. Right. So that's one of the most horrible things about replacement theology is what it says about God. That's right. Well, Martin Luther was anti-Semitic. Oh. And oh, uh, totally. Hitler got much of his inspiration of the final solution from, from Martin Luther. And so, you know, the, the, the danger of this, and, and I tell people the story of how I, how I fell in love with Israel. I had never, I grew up in Texas, in West Texas. I never knew a Jew, and I had never heard of Israel. And I got saved when I was 19, and my wife and I went into a Christian bookstore, and I saw a poster on the wall that had a menorah, and it had one word, Israel. And it's like I had seen the most beautiful woman in the world, and I fell <laughs> totally in love. And I went up to the, the manager of the bookstore at the counter and I pointed over to that poster on the wall and I said, I didn't know how to say Israel. I, I thought it was Israel. And I said, oh. that, is, that Israel thing on the wall, what is that? He said, well, that's Israel. And I said, I don't know what that is. He said, well, it's a, it's a country in the Middle East. I said, okay. And he said, well, that's where Jesus lived. And I said, really? He said, yeah. That's how I fell in love with Israel. And so I didn't know anything about it. I mean, it was totally 100% madly in love with Israel. So the first time I heard someone make a comment against the Jews, it was just like you're talking about my mother. You know, you're yeah. just talking about someone I, I love. So it was a supernatural experience for me. But I, I've been shocked by how much of the church has been affected by this. And I was, uh, I was at a funeral last week, Marcus Lamb's funeral, the Daystar Network. Right. I was at his funeral. Pastor John Hagee was talking, and he loves Israel very much. And he said... The most important promise in the Bible is I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And you look at world history, there has never been a nation in the history of the world blessed that cursed Israel or came against Israel. And of course, this week, the United Nations has uh, sent six different censures against Israel. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting that we see the tornadoes in America. There's, right. a, cor there's a correlation between sure. acting against Israel and the, some of the natural disasters we see. Now, I want you to talk about Shemitah. Now, this is absolutely, I want to talk about Solomon and I want to talk about Shemitah for the rest of the program. Okay, I want to talk about Shemitah for just a minute. Now, the Antichrist shows up during the tribulation. Okay. Yes. Okay, so the tribulation could begin next year. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Talk about that. Sure. What, uh, I think pretty much every one of your listeners are familiar with the book of Daniel and Daniel's 70 weeks. The whole reason that they were in Babylon for 70 years 
is because Israel did not keep the Shemitah cycle as far as the seventh year. They didn't let the land rest. They didn't uh, let go all of the debtors, uh, set them free. And so they didn't do that for 490 years. They never rested on the seventh year. And so this is why they were in captivity for 70 years, God says, so the land could get all of the rest it missed at one time. Uh, God was very adamant about them keeping that seventh year. And King Zedekiah, uh, right before the temple was destroyed, it was a Shemitah year. Wow. And it says in Jeremiah that he had set the captives free. He decided, well, we better follow God or Babylon's going to overcome us. And so they set all the captives free. For the first time in 490 years, they let them free. Well, then what happens? Egypt comes along to help Israel fight off Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar retreats. Well, Israel end up giving Egypt the credit instead of God credit. And so they put all the people back into captivity, which is why the very next year, the first year of a Shemitah cycle is when the temple was destroyed. Wow. Now, remember Daniel, several 70 years later, uh, he says he's reading the book of Jeremiah and he realizes that, wow, we hadn't uh, been keeping the Shemitah cycle. 70 years are determined. It's about that time for us to be set free. And so he's praying like crazy. And so then you see the Daniel 70 weeks. Well, I believe everyone knows there's one week left and a week refers to a seven year time period. Right. Well, here's the thing that's shocking, that's so simple and yet so profound. Daniel was Jewish, okay? And so the seven year cycle he's talking about is a Shemitah cycle. And we know that it refers to the tribulation. Well, the tribulation has to begin the first year of a Shemitah cycle because Daniel's Jewish. This is the way he thinks. And so, uh, as you said, next Rosh Hashanah, next fall, begins a new seven-year cycle. So that is a huge possibility the tribulation could begin next fall. Now, if it doesn't, it can't begin for seven more years because it's not going to begin in the middle of a Shemitah cycle. It has to begin the first year of a Shemitah cycle.